to uh, take your Bible and turn to Philippians chapter 2. It's easy for me because I have it marked. Uh, some of you already beat me there because how many of you use a phone for your Bible? All right. How many of you use uh, your iPad or a tablet? A few of you. All right. How many of you use the old standard? All right. And if you don't have one, don't feel embarrassed at all. There is a Bible somewhere near you, right? And you can get that Bible. And we're going to be in the book of Philippians, all right? The book of Philippians. And I uh, just want to give you a little bit of uh, background on Philippians. But if you don't know where it is, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. You there? Everybody there? All right. We're going to start in this, but uh, as, you're, as you are, some of you are still turning. That's fine. Give you a little bit of background. Philippians basically is a thank you letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Philippi for supporting him during his time of imprisonment. Now, he's in prison in Rome for preaching the gospel. He established the Philippian church in his second missionary journey, and now he's there because the Jewish leaders accused him of starting some kind of an uprising. And this crazy uprising that he was doing was called Christianity. This uprising of preaching the gospel or, or the good news. Uh, ironically, it's interesting to me that, that before Paul's conversion, he was a religious terrorist. He, he was one who was trying to stop Christianity. He wanted to make sure that Christians were either going to jail or were killed. And the Jewish leaders, all right, the Jewish leaders, now that he has converted, wanted to take him out. The Jewish religious leaders knew that if Christianity were to catch on, that they would lose all their authority and power and control over the people. So they wanted to kill him. But because Paul was a Roman citizen, he had the right to appeal to a Roman court system. Rome was obviously the world power of the first century. Paul appealed his case all the way to Caesar in Rome, kind of like our, our uh, Supreme Court system. So Paul is now in prison, and he's writing uh, uh, a letter as he's waiting his hearing. Again, interestingly, Paul always wanted to go to Rome to preach the gospel because he knew that if he could hit Rome, if he could reach Rome, that he could change the world. Okay, 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 back to the letter. Here we go. Philippi was a multicultural city, and it was ruled by Rome. It became a religious crossroads. When I was in Philippi, uh, one of the neat things was, is even in the old ruins, there were all these different symbols, these religious symbols. I, I remember putting my wife up into a little notch that was a, a place where they worshipped flies. It, it, this became a place, I don't know why I did that to her, I'm just saying. <laughs> but Paul had been so committed and so dedicated to the idea of influence after his conversion. He thought everybody must hear the gospel. All Christians must influence their world. So although Paul writes a letter of thanks, and you can see that in, in chapter 1, verse 3, he says, I thank my God every time I remember you. Man, that's high praise. But he also takes this opportunity to, to admonish the members of the Christian community. So we're going to start at verse 12. Therefore, I'm going to stop right there. I do this in youth group all the time. Therefore, whenever you see therefore in Scripture, it means in light of what I just said. So when he starts off by saying therefore, or in light of, in light of what? Let's take a look really quickly. 
Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, I believe. Your attitude should be that same of that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death on a cross. So therefore, because of how Jesus gave himself for us, we should act like him to others. Basically, Paul is saying here, Jesus became nothing and died on the cross for you. The least you could do is represent him well. Now, I'm back again to chapter, to chapter 2, verse 12. Therefore, my dear brothers, as you have always obeyed, and not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. As you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing, but even if I am poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Obviously, there were some issues in the church at Philippi. Some of the church members were grumbling. Some of them were arguing. Some of them were complaining. And Paul, I believe, is saying, I feel like this makes the whole church look bad. Other religious groups and, and, and citizens of Philippi could be persuaded to believe that that's the way all Christians act. You know, a little bit of bad influence goes a long way. Jesus said a little bit of yeast, right, affects the whole dough. Remember, Paul wants to impact the world, and he wants to influence the whole world. He wants the world to change because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you know what? This is the amazing thing. It happened. It happened. You're here as a result of the fact that it happened. You know how? You know how it happened? Christians acting like Christ. Long after Paul was gone, his message, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, lived on. You know, Romans were brutal to Christians in the first century. Christians were used as sport in the Colosseum. You know that they were fed to lions. They were tortured. In some cases, amazingly, they would take Christians, impale them, they would pour oil and tar on them and use them for streetlights in their cities. It, it seems unfathomable that Christians would go through that experience. But eventually, Rome adopted Christianity as its official religion. How is that possible? Because in spite of the Romans, Christians loved the Romans as Christ, as God loved the Romans. Archimedes, who was a great Greek uh, 
mathematician and scientist, one of the most brilliant men that ever lived, said this. He said, give me a lever long enough and a fulcrum on which to place it, and I shall move the world. You know, by leveraging love, by using love as the tool of influence, societies and cultures and people's hearts are changed. You know, Archimedes was right. Using love as a lever and Christ on the fulcrum, the world can be moved. Men's hearts can be moved. Lives can be changed. There was a man uh, who influenced my life in a big way years and years ago. And during the uh, mid-80s, when I was a young youth pastor, I heard a man speak. His name was Paul Bubna. And Paul Bubna was eventually going to be the president of this denomination, the Christian Missionary Alliance. And he said some amazing things that really impacted me one day about this topic. During the mid-80s, the evangelical church was really taking some significant stands against abortion. And I remember we were heading to Buffalo for a prayer conference. And at that time, just, just before we had gotten to uh, the conference in Buffalo, there had been some bombings of these clinics where abortions were taking place. And several doctors had been killed. This didn't just happen once. It happened over and over and over, basically in the name of God. And so when we were at the conference, there was a kind of a movement amongst many of the pastors to say, let's not have the prayer conference. Let's go picket some of these clinics. Let's, let's walk out in front of them. Or let's find where these doctors live and we'll picket in front of their homes. And so there was this feeling about what we should do about this situation. And, and Paul, who is just amazingly wise, stood up before us at this conference and he told a story about in his hometown in New Jersey, that there was an abortion doctor there in town, and Paul made an appointment with him and said, you know, I'd like to get together with you. And he came into his office, and he sat there, and he said to him, uh, how's your family doing with all this stress? Your kids have been harassed. Your wife has been harassed. People are in front of your home. People are in front of, of the clinic. How are you doing? And the man broke down and felt the stress and the weight of the moment. And over a period of time, Paul took him out to lunch. They met regularly for, a week, for, uh, for weeks on end. Ended up actually for about a year. They, they played tennis together, encouraged each other. Paul primarily encouraging him. At the end of that time, this doctor gave his life to Christ and shut the clinic all down himself. It impacted their entire community in what he did. And I believe like this, the Apostle Paul is saying to the Philippians and to us that our reactions, our responses, our relationships can and will impact people for good or for bad, and some people for eternity. When Christians don't act like Christ, the damage can be devastating. Jesus said, all the commandments can be summed up into two. Love God and love people. You know, the church, 
from the beginning of time has been notorious for leveraging power, not love. And when this happens, the hearts of non-believers truly can grow hard. You know, we've all heard, you know, if that's what a Christian's like, I don't want to be like one. And I'm sure you've heard people say that when you get together with groups of people that you don't know, don't talk about two things, religion and politics. Why? Because it's so controversial. You know, religion, for the most part, as I see it, is man-empowered. Christianity is grace through faith. You see, love changes things. Love produces hope. Hope encourages faith. Faith perpetuates love. Faith, hope, and love but the greatest of these is, okay, you really didn't have a whole lot of conviction, right? <laughs> Faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. Right. Amen. You, that was good. So he says, work out your salvation. How? Remember the therefore? Let's start with quit grumbling, quit complaining. Quit arguing. It's not about you. It's not about what you want. It's about lost men and women. It's about lost boys and girls, 25 of which gave their lives to Christ this week, coming to a knowledge of Christ through God's grace and their faith. Listen, Christ in you is the hope of glory. So Paul puts out this challenge. He says, Shine like stars in a crooked and depraved generation. The Romans, crooked and depraved. Our culture, crooked and depraved. I want you to think about stars for a second. Aren't they awesome? I, I don't know if you ever, I don't know if you're like me. I'm all about it. I remember as a kid, you know, and I'm sure you did this too, and you're, you're laying in the backyard, and it's pitch black, and you're looking up, and you're just thinking, there's something bigger out there. It's huge, and you, oh, it's so awesome. Or the first time you ever see a shooting star, okay, now again, I'm crazy about this, but I still go, oh, okay, like it's like amazingly exciting. I know it's not a real star. It's just something flying through atmosphere, but it's awesome to me. And I think about how cool that is. Stars are so amazing. Our sun is the closest star, 93 million miles away. Most stars that we can see are larger than the sun. The largest known star is V.Y. Canis Majoris. It's 1,800 times larger than the sun. There's a lot of stars. There's two to 400 billion stars in our Milky Way galaxy. And scientists believe that there could be as many as 500 billion galaxies in our universe. That means that there could be as many as, and I'm not good with math, all right, no Archimedes here, as many as 20 times 10 to the 23rd number of stars in the universe. They 
are really far away, too, I found. The closest star, other than the sun, is 4.2 light years away. It takes over four years for the reflected light to travel from the star to us. It would take 70,000 years to travel there in the fastest spaceship ever been invented. Wow. I mean, that's pretty impressive, right? We look at them with awe and wonder. They are the ultimate wow factor. So if we go back to what Paul was saying, do you get it? Paul says, shine like stars in a crooked and depraved generation. Are people looking at us? Are people looking at you? Are people looking at me like a shining star? Are you the wow factor in this crooked and depraved generation? Are you the wow factor? Do you leverage love? Do you act like Christ? Or when you really break it down, are you simply religious? Christians are to shine like stars to those who don't know Jesus. And frankly, Christians are to shine like stars to other Christians. As Christ was afflicted, so might we be. Have you ever thought that your, your trials are there so that you might shine like a star and reflect his light in the darkness? I remember when <coughs> excuse me, our second daughter died. Sorry. The great saint came up and said, no longer can you sympathize, but now you can empathize. How do we shine like stars in the midst of pain? How does it happen? Not you, but Christ in you. That's the hope of glory. Doing this is going to take a drastic change in the way we think. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world. What is the pattern of this world? Selfishness, complaining, arguing. But be transformed into what? Into the image of Christ. How? By renewing your mind. You got to listen. Listen, you got to change how you think. I tell the kids all the time, you got to think like God grid. We all make decisions based on our own personal grid, right? through our own personal filter. And we need to change the way we think. We need to change it to looking through the filter that God has or, or God grid. Okay, so what does God grid look like? Here's the deal. I'm going to give you an example from Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. And John writing on the island of Patmos, what God had told him to write, and he's writing to this church at Laodicea. And he says, to the angel of the church at Laodicea, write this, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds that you are neither hot or cold or hot. I wish you were either one or the other. 
So because you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. <laughs> okay, listen, this, this passage of Scripture literally changed my life. Because I, I looked at it purely from a North American perspective. I, I couldn't understand this. In fact, it was like mind-boggling to me that God wanted me to either be hot or cold. And I kept thinking from a North American sports perspective, because that's kind of who I am. And I thought God would rather me be really on fire for him, you know, batting a thousand. Or he would rather me just be totally cold and not caring. And be, because I'm lukewarm, I'm not hot, I'm not really cold, I'm going to spit you out of my, I, I, this was devastating for me because I could not be that guy who was on fire. I just couldn't do it. I, I, everything in me kept me from being that guy. I wanted to be that guy, I just couldn't do it. I had pain in my life, I had struggles, I had my own issues. I just wasn't that on fire. I wasn't like Paul, I couldn't do it. So I thought, man, I must be, either he must want me to be cold because he wants to puke me out if I'm just, you know, lukewarm. And then when I realized that lukewarm, lukewarm symbolizes liquid. And then I went to Israel and, and I saw how important water was to them. And I thought, this isn't talking about my batting average. This isn't talking about sports. This is talking about water. And all of a sudden, it changed everything about how I thought. He says, I wish you were either hot or cold. And I looked at that and I said, nowhere else in Scripture does it say, I wish you were dead to the things of God and you can just go to hell. Nowhere in Scripture, ever, any place else. And so when he starts to talk about this, I wish you were hot or cold, I thought, what does that mean? Well, I get it, right? You ever been shoveling snow and you're freezing or you've been out in the cold, you've been hunting, right? And you're freezing to death and you come in, there's nothing like a hot shower. Oh. Or you get in the hot tub and you're like, oh, this is awesome. I love this feeling. Or on a hot summer day, you've been mowing the grass, you've been working outside, you've been doing whatever these last few days. <laughs> and you get that hose and you just, you know, just pour it over you. Take a hot or a really cold drink of water. You take the nasty plunge. And you're like, oh, that was so refreshing. You know, I'm looking at this and I'm saying, the hot is good. It's healing. And the cold is good. It's refreshing. And I thought, can we be that person? No matter what's going on in my life, no matter the struggles that I'm going through, maybe the, the really down, desperate times in my life, God has called me to love him and love people. In the desperate times of my life, can I still be healing and refreshing to you? Can I care for your needs different than I would care for my own? I look at this and I'm saying it was so freeing. And I think that the idea of the lukewarm is when it's really not useful. Ever have the cup of coffee that's been sitting on the counter way too long? You spit it out. Or when you do turn the hose on, you got to wait. That lukewarm stuff's not good. But refreshing. But healing. Be healing or refreshing. No matter what the circumstance. See, that's God grid. Even if you're poured out, Paul says, like a drink offering, just dumped out on the ground. Even if you're poured out like a drink offering, like Jesus was, like Paul was, 
be healing or refreshing. I say, go God grid. Ask the question, how can I change my world? Well, you can start with Philippians 3.16. And again, Philippians 3.16 is one of my favorite verses. It says, live up to what you've already attained. <laughs> live up to what you've already attained. Basically, in essence, it's do what you already know to do. Then trust that God's plan for you is perfect. Wow. You know, that's a lot of faith. That takes a lot of faith. You know, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He'll make your path straight. You got to remember that our understanding is flawed. We in ourselves are prone to complain and argue and grumble. If we want his direction, we must trust that his ways are right. Think this. Can people trust a God they can't see by seeing God in you? Ralph Waldo Emerson said this, All I have seen teaches me to trust the Creator for all I have not seen. Man, that's profound. You know, doubt in God will produce faulty living. Doubt in God will produce people who leverage power, not love. Doubt in God will produce complainers and arguers and whiners and negativity and pessimism and factions and grumbling. Doubt in God produces anti-God behavior, oppression and hatred and prejudice and anger and worry and wrong actions. Leverage love on the fulcrum of Christ. Paul wanted to change the world for Jesus' sake, and he was willing to do whatever it took. He was willing to have pain. He was willing to suffer. He was willing to go to jail, and he was willing to be joyful in the midst of all of it. How can you change your world? How can you show love? Here's a hint. It's not about religious activism. It's not about political activism. It's about Christian action. It's about God grid. John 13, 35 says, basically, when it comes to the disciples, they will know you are my disciples. They will know you are Christians by your, there again, we need more conviction because I want to amen you again, okay? And they will know you are Christians by your, it was close, we'll get there. You see, when we learn to fully trust God, we become more free to allow him to work through us in every circumstance. See, this is working out your salvation that we read about earlier. This is exercising your faith. You know, the opposite of faith isn't doubt. The opposite of faith is fear. Fear that God can't really be in control. 
Fear that we can't live what we're supposed to live. Fear that we might fail in our quest to follow Christ. In essence, when we don't trust by faith that God is in control and that he has got it all completely figured out, when we don't trust by faith and we worry and we are afraid, we actually are practicing atheism. God is in control. God is love. God chose us to impact the world. You know, some of us are in great situations. Some of us feel like we're being crushed. God knows. He knows who we are and where we are. He won't give us more than we can stand. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. But he wants to use us. He wants us to be hot or cold, healing or refreshing. Not about us. He wants us to shine like stars. You know, a crooked and depraved generation won't change because we're right. <laughs> a wicked and depraved generation will change because we are love. And love is patient. And love is kind. It does not envy and it does not boast. It's not proud. It is not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. You know, the best way to know that you're loved by God is to count your blessings. I remember as a little kid, my mom, when we didn't have like literally two nickels to rub together as a family, my mom, she was just, you know, great worker in the house, but she would iron. She ironed like, I don't know, like I'm, I, before they had apparently things you don't have to iron, but I remember this over in my head over and over. She sang, she sang a song. It was a hymn called Count Your Blessings. When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged, thinking all is lost, count your many blessings. Name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Are you ever burdened with a load of care? Does the cross seem heavy that you're called to bear? Well, count your many blessings. Every doubt will fly, and you will be singing as the days go by. When you look at others with their lands and gold, think that Christ has promised you his wealth untold. Count your many blessings wealth can never buy, your reward in heaven nor your home on high. So amid the conflict, whether great or small, do not be discouraged. God is over all. Count your many blessings. Angels will attend. Help and comfort give you to the journey's end. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. Count your many blessings. See what God has done. I thought about that, and I thought, wow, sometimes we just forget the presence of God is all around us. We forget God grid. Pause to give thanks. Know that you are loved by God. That cool summer breeze that you feel sometimes, the trees and the clouds, 
your husband's dirty laundry after a long day of work because you have a husband and he's got a job. That great hot meal that took so much time to prepare and so little praise and appreciation for it. A mom's smile, hot showers, air conditioning, a kid's bike in the driveway, because God blessed you with a kid. And maybe you're feeling like everything's been taken away from you and no longer can you sympathize. But God has called you now to empathize. I will say this, no one, no one is thankful for complainers and arguers. God is love and his love endures forever. I want to close with a responsive reading. And it's going to be broken down where it says, people, I'd like you to read boldly with conviction what it says, and we will feel and know that God is love, and his love endures forever. Do me a favor, would you stand? And where it says people, you say it with your heart. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. To him alone does great things. Who by his understanding made the heavens. Who spread out the earth upon the waters. Who made the great lights. The sun to govern the day and the moon and stars to govern the night. To the one who remembered us in our lowest state and freed us from our enemies and who gives food to every creature. Give thanks to the God of heaven.